welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening session of Saturday the 21st of February 2009, entitled The Storm of Strongholds, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. It was such a, a delight to see all you young people, you young adults, uh, sing for the glory of God and uh, enjoy what we've been talking about in the last couple sessions about enjoying God. And so uh, I just want to commend you and thank you for all uh, of your, your words of encouragement and everything that you've, uh, you've said to me. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm not looking forward to tomorrow night already. And uh, it always is difficult to see it end. But, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, we've got... We've got about four more sessions, so we thank God for that. And you just pray that I'll keep my uh, keep my strength, and uh, and and that God will give it to me. And so, uh, I want you to uh, I want you to listen with not only ears but with your heart tonight. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter number ten. Let's look at verse number three. Now you have to understand the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians was written because there was great apostasy in the church. I mean, there was things going on that were unparalleled to anything that Paul had heard about. And his problem was this, Brother Frazier. He said, when I came to you and should have been teaching you the great oracles of God, I had to go back and teach you the ABCs. Instead of feasting on meat, he said, you're still drinking milk. And I pray to God, if you've been saved a number of years or any length of time, you're not going to be somebody that uh, your pastor or something's going to have to spoon feed you for the next 10, 15 years. You need to uh, realize that you are a, a Christian, that you are to feed yourself, uh, and, and don't sit around expecting uh, your pastor to feed you when you go home on Monday night and Tuesday night and Thursday morning and Friday morning. You feed yourself, okay? But the church in Corinth was a very carnal church. There was things going on. They were taking each other the pagan court. And by the way, that is unbiblical. You ought never take another brother in Christ to a pagan court of law and tell them to fix your problem. If you're a Christian and he's a Christian or she's a Christian, take care of it in-house, as they say. All right? Corinth was a place that was a, a thriving city, but it was a carnal city. And Paul goes into writing this book to the, to the Corinthians the second time, the second letter. The first one was about carnality. But the second letter, Panos, was to refute they were literally questioning his apostleship. And he goes through, Pastor Leonard, and he says, Hey man, I, I, I'm nobody. I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm the least of the apostles. And he said, I, I promise you, I've been through things that cemented my calling. I was beaten with rods. I was uh, uh, given 39 stripes, save one. Uh, by the Jews, he said, I was stoned at Lystra, I was shipwrecked, I, day and a night, I literally treaded water in the deep. He said, I was in perils of water and perils of persecution, distress and nakedness. And he said, above all of that, I had all the care of the churches. And he said, I, I'm here to tell you that my validation is from God Almighty. By the way, it ought not matter what somebody thinks of you. You've only got one person to please and nothing to prove. As long as God says, you are approved, you're called by my name, you're a Christian, you serve me, it ought not matter, you don't fear what somebody else thinks about you. All right? Paul didn't worry about what this church thought, he just wanted to teach them some, some grave errors that they were taking for, uh, in, uh, they, taken for granted. And so, 
in 2 Corinthians, he says this. He says, look at verse number 3, chapter number 10, verse number 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And I ought to get a hearty amen right there. Every single one of us in here are saved and we're sealed in the day of redemption. But when we got saved, we still live in this old, wretched flesh. By the way, when you got saved, you didn't get a new heart. You know that? You didn't get a new heart. The, the reason I know that is because Paul told the church in Rome, in chapter number 12 in the book of Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, God, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to renew your mind. You didn't get a new one. You've got to renew it every single day. Now, young people, I'm here to tell you that when you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon. I've heard preachers in America say this. I'm going to, uh, I hear them on TV all the time. I want everybody to come forward, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast the demon of alcohol out of you. I'm going to cast the demon. Listen, if you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon, all right? Because when the Holy Spirit moves in, the devil moves out. But though he can't possess your body, he can invade your mind. And young people, I'm here to tell you that you've got a lot you've got to wage war against because the day and age in which we live, with technology the way it is, with the internet the way it is, with television the way it is, you've got to guard your mind because the devil knows this is his playground right here. Between your ears. Now, I'm not telling you probably anything that you haven't already heard me say, but you know what? Repetition ought not breed corruption in your heart. When you hear something over and over and over again, that's the way you learn math, right? I don't like math. I don't even preach out a book of numbers. I don't even like math. I, I can't. <laughs> huh? But you know what? That's the way you learn math is by repetition. You go and you look at the, uh, you know, the, 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 the multiplication table. And you go over it and over it and over it and over it. And I hope it sticks. Well, you know what? When you, some of you are going, no, it don't. I know, I know I resemble your, I resemble that remark. All right. But do you know? You learn things spiritually by repetition. You know what? You do something for more than two weeks, it's going, be, it's going to become a habit. Now, that can be positive or negative. And young people, what you've got to do is you've got to exercise your mind. You've got to renew it day by day. And listen, though the devil can't possess your body, he can invade your mind. We had a poster that was in our barracks when I was a Marine. Do you know what it said, Brother Frazier? It said the warrior's... Now, this was for Marines. The warrior's greatest weapon is his mind. You know what? The devil knows exactly where you live tonight. He's got your address, your cell phone number. He knows your, he knows your post number. Everything about you, he knows too. And I'm here to tell you, he knows exactly where he can put his finger on that little chink in your armor, if you will, and he can fester that thing, and he can make it into what we're going to call tonight a stronghold. That's what the Bible calls it. Look at verse number 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Listen to this. Every thought. Every thought. Get that in your brain housing group. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
Young people, I've asked myself many times, what is a stronghold? I've gone back and I've looked at it and I've surveyed it. It's not mentioned a lot in the Bible, but I've looked the word up and I believe it means this. It is a, what I'm going to call, this is the definition of a stronghold. Write this down. The definition of a stronghold is this. It is a fleshly fortress or a carnal castle that the devil constructs in your mind by your permission. The devil cannot construct one in your mind if you don't give him permission to do it. But a listen, a stronghold is a fleshly fortress or a carnal castle that the devil constructs in your mind with your permission. That's what a stronghold is. Now, if you're in this room tonight and you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed or invaded in your body by a demon, but I promise you this, your enemy, the devil, can invade your mind. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful and don't cast away imaginations and every high thing, and you don't set your thoughts on the obedience of Christ, the devil's going to sit back and he's going to have his way with you. The definition of a stronghold is a fleshly fortress or a carnal castle that is built in your mind by the devil with your permission. But I don't want to look at that because you know what? You can talk about what they are, but don't you like messages where you just don't find out what the problem is, but you find out what the solution is? I have so many guys in the states that I listen to, and they'll, they'll, they're, I mean, it is absolutely gloom and doom, the whole service, and then they get to the end and say, let's bow our heads and thank God for the... Man alive, man, you just beat me up one side and down the other and you ain't give me any answers to how I can fix the problem. I'm going to tell you tonight, there's going to be a, we're going to look at by the end of this service how you can take care. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christian, I don't want you to pray with your eyes closed because I want you to read your Bible. But you know what? Pray for me right now because this is one of the most difficult subjects that you have to preach on because you know what? I probably won't get a whole lot of amens out of this service. Because you know what? Every single one of us in here live exactly what I'm reading. You know exactly what it is, young lady. You know what exactly what it is, young man. Mama, daddy, you know the exact area that the devil has used as a stronghold in your life. And you know what? If we really be honest, every single one of us probably have one. You know what? I'm going to tell you what they are in just a little bit. But I first of all want to tell you the development of strongholds. How is a stronghold developed in your mind by the devil with your permission? Well, the first way it's uh, developed in your mind is this. Write this down now because it's going to help you on your discussion time. The first way a stronghold is developed, the development, the definition is it's a fleshly fortress that's built in your mind with the, by the devil with your permission. But the development of strongholds, how do they get developed in our mind? Well, look at verse number 5 again. Verse number 5 says, casting down imaginations. Now, let me tell you what it is. Here's what happens. The first thing that, that the devil uses to develop a stronghold in your mind is what I call false concepts. False concepts. You say, preacher, what do you mean? The Bible tells us, young men, to cast down imaginations. That means things that are conjured up in our mind that do not, uh, do not hold to what the truth of the Word of God says. So here's what happens. The devil uses false concepts. You say, preacher, what would something like that be? Well, I'll tell you what it is. In my country, I told you all this today. You don't have that problem here. You need to praise God when I say that. But you need to praise God that this ain't a problem in England because you know what? You live in a melting pot. This ain't an issue. But it, well, listen, where I grew up when I was a little boy, everybody had prejudices in their life. 
It may have not been whites against blacks, but it may have been Mexicans against whites, Asians against white. And, and it's, it's running rampant. And I told y'all this, the author of all of that ethnic division is the devil himself. And let me tell you what will happen. Here's, what, here, here's the, 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 the philosophy and the mentality of some people who don't broaden their horizons and travel outside the con. Do you know that I had people in my church, Brother Leonard, I had people in my church who had never been outside 60, 70, 75 years old, had never been outside the confines of their own county, not the state, the county. A county probably about as big as Birmingham proper, the whole city. They had never been outside of an area as big as Birmingham. And do you know what? When you don't do that, you get these what I call bad baggage that you carry. Because see, if you're saved by the grace of God, you're a new creature, aren't you? New creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature, but guess what? You didn't get a new mind because you got to renew it every day. And you know what the devil will use? It's just what he used in my life when I was a young lad, and thank God he delivered me from that. But you know what? When I, I guess it was about two years ago, we brought back some pictures. We had taken some pictures here with a little digital camera. We downloaded them onto our computer, and we've got pictures of some of the precious young people that's at this conference. And uh, I love to show you off, all right? So everybody's seen your picture uh, at every, about, about every member of my church where I was at for the last three and a half years knows every one of you uh, by face. And I had a picture of me and Panos together, okay? And uh, I make him look a whole lot better in that picture, I promise you. No, I'm just playing. But I looked, and me and Panos were standing there with our arms around each other right before I left a couple years ago, and we took a picture together. And when I got, I was showing that to a person who was visiting in our house, and, I, and he said, who is that? And I said, well, that's my brother Panos. He went, wait a minute, brother? He's awful olive complexion. You're white as a sheet. He's tall, good looking. You short and ugly and bald. Y'all brothers? I said, yes, we're brothers. He said, there ain't no way. He said, you adopted then. I said, no, I'm not. You know what I said? I said, he's my brother in Jesus. See, young people, you know what the devil will do if you're not careful? If you're not careful... And it may not affect you in the ethnic realm, but it might affect you in the religious realm. If you start to push yourself away from people that don't think like you do and don't believe the same philosophy and don't call on the same Jesus that you do, and you start to push away from them like the Levite and the priest and all of those people that walked by that man that was almost dead on the road to Jericho, and they said, unclean, unclean. But the one that they considered a half-breed, a Samaritan, was the one that showed compassion and said, I'll take care of this guy. Young people, I'll tell you what the devil will use. He'll use false concepts in your mind to build a stronghold. You know what else? He'll build a, a, a stronghold in your mind by false concepts of, of, of this. I had the worst problem in my life, still do a little bit. Not as bad as it used to be. But you know what? The devil started using a false concept in my mind that goes all the way back to when I was seven years old. You know what happened? You want me to tell you? All right, I'll tell you. Some of y'all like, yeah, I want you to tell me. I'm sitting on the couch when I'm seven years of age. My mom and my dad are getting ready. He, she, she gets me dressed, puts me on the couch. She looks at me and says, now, Brian, I want you to sit here and watch cartoons, and I'm going to go get dressed, and I'll be back in just a minute. Now, my mom did not mean to lie to me, but her minute turned into an hour and ten minutes getting ready. 
And I'm sitting there just twiddling my thumbs and watching the TV, and all of a sudden I go, man, where's she at? It's a one minute. It's been 45 minutes. It's been an hour. And you know what? What the devil did in my mind, he began to make me impatient. Impatient. You know what? I wish they would have the same concept in America as they got here. You know, y'all's flashing, y'all's lights, when they get ready to turn green, they flash yellow. They don't do that in America. I wish they did. Here's what happens in America. When you come up to a light and it's green, if it turns yellow, of course, that means what? Some of y'all are exactly where I'm at. You know what I thought the yellow light used to mean? When I got to a green light, and I'm about 50 yards from it, and it turns yellow, I thought, Pastor Larry, it mean put it to the floor. Whoa! And I'm telling you, when I went through it, it was high. It was probably pink going red, okay? But no, you know what the yellow light means? It means slow down. You go next time. I do not like to wait on anything. If I go... I promise you this, if we were going tomorrow morning after church to the Carvery and there were five people in line, I ain't stopping. I'm going to the next place because I'm not standing in line to wait on something to eat. I am just, I had a spirit of impatience. And guess what God had to do to me? He had to work on my heart about that. Because you know what? Here's what I did, young people. I said, I'm going to beat guys. Look at me. I said, I'm going to be my own man. I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And guess what, Matt? When I joined the Marine Corps, they told us everything to do. I mean, you put your feet into feet prints. You stand at attention when they tell you to stand. You go to bed when they tell you to go to bed. You get in the shower and they tell you to wash by numbers. Wash your head, wash your head, do it now, move. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Wash your arms, wash your arms, do it now. They tell you everything to do. But do you know what they'll always do to us? They would get us up at 4.30 in the morning. And Pastor, you know about this, using the Air Force. They get you up at 4.30 in the morning. You get dressed. You force march out into the middle of nowhere. They say, we got to get there now. we got to get there now. we got to get there now. And get there at 5 o'clock in the morning and wait till 8 o'clock before you do anything. Hurry up and wait. That's what they said. I want you to hurry up and wait. And you know what? God knew God knew I wanted to serve him, but the devil also knew that he could construct a fortress, a fleshly fortress in my mind, and one of the false concepts he uses is a thing called impatience. The Bible says casting down imaginations. I don't know what your problem is. God knows mine, and he knows yours. And you may have not sinned in 20 years, but I'm telling you this, I'm going to confess mine tonight, and mine was impatience. What about you? What's your stronghold? You know how it's developed? It's developed by false concepts. It says casting down imaginations. Anything that don't line up with Jesus is an imagination. Got one more for you. Now I'm going to, I'm really going to scratch where you itch right now, okay? So some of you might not want to look like you're getting uneasy, but I'll tell you this. You know what the devil will use in some of y'all's minds? What you go and look at, what you listen to. Some of you, you know what? You ought not be on the internet looking at stuff you ought not look at when it's 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Hello? Because you know what the devil will do? He'll use that to construct a fleshly fortress in your mind. And I'm here to tell you, young people, I'm 42 years young. 
Hallelujah. I'm 42 years young, but I can remember when I was 14 years of age, every single song that I listened to that was scraped off the walls of hell. I can remember every word, Frazier. And you know what? Here's the problem. I get young people that says, I can't memorize Scripture, but you can tell me every song the Spice Girls sing. Well, that's a bad, that's a bad illustration. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, some of you might like Spice Girls. But, I, I mean, you can tell me the words to every single song that you hear on the radio. I know that for a fact because I got a 15-year-old son, an 18-year-old daughter. Now, you know what? Why in the world can we say we can't, we can't memorize the Scripture, meditate upon it, and put it in our heart, but yet we can tell you every single song that we've heard since 1973? Some of y'all weren't born then, were you? Don't look at me like that. You make me feel old. You know what God, you know what God wants to use you, and the way the devil wants him not to use you is to get in here. He'll use false concepts. The second development, the thing that makes a stronghold develop in your mind and in your life is not only false concepts, but what I call foolish confidence. Look at the last part of verse number 5. Casting down imaginations and every what? High thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So young people, here's the development of strongholds in your life. Number one, they're, they're, they're developed by number one, what I call a false concept, but number two, by a foolish confidence. Turn over to Romans chapter number one. I want to show you something very quickly. Romans chapter number one. Most of you know this passage. You know the context. Romans chapter number one. Look down at verse number 18. Romans chapter number one. And look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their what? What? Am I reading the same Bible you're reading? It says they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I want you to look at me, young people. I know how prevalent this is in your country. It's Listen, it's creeping into ours big time in the public school system, and it's a thing called evolution. It says because that when they knew God, you know what? The Bible tells me that the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world, George, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they... Who's the they? Those that when they knew God, glorified Him not as God, when they knew Him, it says that those that see it by the creation of the world and by the invisible things from His hand are clearly seen. It says that they are without excuse. A person cannot sit and call themselves an atheist. Now, they may say they are, but they're not. I had a lady one time tell me she was an atheist. I said, well, if you're an atheist, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, let's suppose that, ma'am, you know everything. She said, well, that's impossible. I don't know everything. She said, I said, well, let's suppose you know half of everything. Half. Just half of everything. She said, okay. I said, well... Do you think that the God that you reject might exist in the half that you don't know about? 
she went, she started looking at me cross-eyed and she went, do, do what? And it hit her. You know what I said? You just went from an atheist, ma'am, to an agnostic in 30 seconds. Because you know what the atheist says? I, the atheist says this. Psalm, the, the book of Psalms, chapter 33, says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Y'all know this. The words there is is italicized. It means in your Bible it's sometimes slanted like this. That means it's added for our understanding. So if you really take those words out and read it like it says in the original language, it says the fool has said in his heart, no God. That means an atheist might say they don't believe in God, but this is what they're really saying. I choose not to believe in God. You know, evolution is unbelievable to me. I want to ask them when they come up with this theory of, you know, 12 billion years ago, this lichen beetle crawled out of a pool of mud. And Were you there? Were, were you there? You get these guys with their pocket protectors and 75 pins in their pocket and come up for a lecture at a, at a university. I'm going to tell you something, Brother Larry. I watched something on TV. I'm telling you, it was, a blas it was blasphemy unto God. Ken Hagen, I mean, Ken, Ken, uh, Ken Ham, the guy that does evolution, refutes evolution, he was on the stage with a guy who was an evolutionist. And that guy sat there, and you know, Ken Ham conducted himself like a gentleman. He sat there, he wasn't very dignified, he answered the questions, but that atheist was sitting over there like this. Wow. He was sitting over there like this. I mean, the whole, the whole lecture, just sitting like this. Just absolutely blatant rebellion. I love these guys. I love talking to them. I told one one time, I said, here's, here's the, here's the series, here's, here's how evolution is in my eyes. I was a tadpole when I began to begin. And then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. And then I was a monkey in a coconut tree. And now I am a man with a PhD. You're welcome. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful in their heart, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was dark. And you know what the next verse says? Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Ooh. You know what it says in the last days? Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 7, Brother Fraser, it says, they'll be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Folks, we live in a day of technology where you would have never believed I was, in a, I was in a meeting in Charlotte. A lady got on the phone with her husband. Or her husband got on the phone with his, his wife. She was at work. She's pregnant, six months pregnant. And we were in Baby Gap. It just so happened they had some maternity dresses in this Gap uh, shop. And so he called her on the phone and said, This is a beautiful dress, honey. I wonder if you'd like to, 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 to have one. But I, I don't know. I, maybe we need to come down here this week and you look at it. She said, No, don't do that. She said, Where are you at again? He, he said, Baby Gap. She got on her computer right there while he's on the phone, typed in gap.com, looked at it, got the website of the gap, went to the local store we're standing in, pulled it up on the computer. What the dress, she said, is it polka dot green, polka dots on a white dress? Yeah, that's it, honey. She pulled up, found out that they had one in stock her size. She went ahead and ordered it while he's standing there on the phone with it. We're looking at it. 20 years ago, you'd never done that. 20 years ago, you'd never done it. 20 years ago, you'd have never thought that you could take a card 
like you see on that commercial here. Now, I love that commercial. Y'all seen that commercial? I don't know if it's in that West, where the guy's sliding down the sliding board all the way through. And he gets to the library and he goes, he gets stuck and he goes, and they go, it's a library, be quiet. But he takes his card and swipes it right across. You know, in the States, we got a commercial where these people are going around and everything's going just perfect. It's like, it's like clockwork. And this guy comes up and puts a $5 bill and two quarters on the table. And it goes, Skrrr! everything comes to a screeching halt because this man puts some money, physical money, on the counter. Oh, we can't handle that. Here's what I can't believe. You go to a McDonald's now and you get a 15-year-old person in there that's working, and you give them a 20-pound note, and it's 18 dollars and fifty or 18 pounds 50, and they don't even know how much money to give you back. Duh. Everybody knows it's 2 pounds 75. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but it says they'll be ever learning, Brother Coe, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, what God, you, you know what God wants to do in your life, young people? He wants to use your mind. Your mind is your greatest weapon, but you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to construct a fleshly fortress, a carnal castle in your mind, so he can say this. When you sit in a service and you go, you know what, preacher speaking to sister so-and-so. Oh, that's for brother so-and-so. I, I got a little problem, and I've got a little bit of a temper, but I'm all right. I'm okay. You know what the devil says? I'm just going to keep on building. I'm going to keep on constructing. You know what develops in you know what develops you know how a stronghold develops in your mind number 1 it's because of uh, what i call thoughts concepts number 2 a foolish confidence but i want you to see how they're detected write this down the detection of a stronghold if you ever ask yourself if i really got one you say how do i know if i've got one young people can i ask you something is there something in your life that nobody else knows about except god almighty and you and you've gone back day, now listen to me, you've gone back day after day after day after day after day, and you said, Lord, I guess this is just my thorn in the flesh, my, flesh, my cross to bear, and you never de de deliver me from this. You know what? If that's your case, if that's you right there, more than likely you got a stronghold. I had a guy come to me one time, and he was from a, a denomination that teaches when you get saved, you lose your sin nature. That when you get saved, you become sinlessly perfect. Well, at that time, I wasn't right with God, and I was going to make sure he wasn't either. All right? So I was at work one day, and uh, he's, he's telling me this. So I start throwing little pieces of paper at him. Just, just, I mean, I'm just getting on his nerves, you know. And I get to the point to where, man, he is absolutely so mad at me. So I, the little paper wasn't working, so what I did, now, now God's already forgiven me, so don't look at me like I'm, all right? I've already get forgive me. I already asked forgiveness. I started getting. I got a straw, man. I got good boy. Look at these guys. Y'all guilty right now. I got me some spit wads, and I'm telling y'all, and that thing went zing, right there, stuck right on his head. Son, he took off after me, and he's chasing me with this big hammer. And I had enough time to turn around before I locked myself in the bathroom, and I said, "Ha! You ain't sinless." And I shut the door and closed it and locked it. Now, let me tell you something. A stronghold is not demon possession. You're saved by the grace of God. You love Him. But there's something in your life that you're allowing the devil to construct in your mind with your permission. If that's your problem tonight, you know what? you got a stronghold. You know what? I've got good news for you. There's a way to destroy it. 
We've talked about the development of strongholds, the detection of strongholds, but look at the destruction of strongholds. Look down and turn to Ephesians chapter number 6 very quickly and I'm done. Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6 and look at verse number 18. Ephesians chapter number 6, look at verse number 18. Let's look back up at 17. This is a very familiar, we've read this, this is the theme of our conference. But I want you to look at what it says. How do you destroy a stronghold in your mind? By the way, young people, if we would have taken care, and this is what you're going to have to do in your life. If we would have taken care of business in 1991 when we were in Kuwait City, we wouldn't have been back fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan right now. Yeah. Now listen, I'm a patriot and I love my country and I'm not... Listen, I don't want to see war. But ultimately, you know, unfortunately it happens. But if we had to take care of business way back when, we wouldn't have been there now. You know what? If you'll take care of business right now in 10 years, you won't have to worry about this. You won't have to go to and wage war in this area of your life. It's a stronghold. Well, how do you destroy them? How do you destroy a stronghold? Well, look at Ephesians chapter number 6 verse 17. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Let me tell you something, young people. Here's how you destroy a stronghold in your life. The destruction of it can be simple as this. Number one, write it down. Number one, the way you destroy a stronghold in your life is you admit it. Did you hear me? You admit it. Say, preacher, what do you mean? You are never going to fight, teenager, young adult, mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, preachers. You'll never fight what you're not willing to face. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to admit it. That's the first step to success in defeating and destroying a stronghold in your life is just say, Lord, I'm not just got a little miff with my brother. I'm bitter at him. God, I just don't have a problem with the little, you know, uh, impatience. Uh, Have you ever heard somebody get down and say, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. I want it right now. You say, Lord, you know, I, I might get a little mad sometimes. No, your problem is you've got a stronghold of anger and you need to take care of it. You know, Lord, I... I know I've, I don't really have a, that big of a problem looking at stuff on the internet. No, your problem is Psalm 101 verse 3, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Where are you at tonight? you got a stronghold? You want to know how to defeat it? You want to know how to destroy it? Admit it. Just say, God, I'm agreeing with you. This is a major area in my life and I want victory over it. And you know what? That's all he needs to hear. You admit it. You analyze it. You admit it, you analyze it. Do you know what? Every stronghold you've got has a source. It's got a beginning and an end. <clears throat> and you know what? Here's the thing, young people. You've got to admit the stronghold, but you've got to analyze the stronghold. You say, I know where it started, but if I don't take care of this, where's it going to end? You know what? Some of you in here, if you're not careful, I had to get here in my life. If you're not careful, you're going to hurt emotionally, Physically, somebody you love very, very dear if you don't take care of that stronghold in your life. You say, well, preacher, what's the third way? Well, first way is you admit it. Number two, you analyze it. But number three, you arm yourself against it. You arm yourself with the Word, with prayer, and with partnership. Write this down. 
Prayer, the Word, and partnership. You say, preacher, what do you mean? You arm yourself with the Word of God. You find verses where you can use it against the devil when he starts to invade your mind. You start to get bitter, want to gossip. You say, well, Lord, I know the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. All right, that's pretty good advice. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Start quoting, I'll tell you this, the devil hates the Bible. You start quoting scripture against him, he's going to flee. You arm yourself with the word of God. You arm yourself in prayer. Luke 18.1 says, He spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. Pray without ceasing. Say it with me. Pray without ceasing. So you pray. But then you have partnership. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Young people, you find somebody that you can be accountable to. Might be from this conference. Young ladies, find you a young lady. Somebody you can Facebook. Somebody you can talk to on the phone and say, you know what, I need for you to pray for me that God will fortify me and He'll get me through this area of my life. I'm having a struggle in this area. Somebody you can just talk to. You know, when I was in the Marine Corps, we had what we called an accountability partner. We didn't go anywhere when we were out in the field by ourselves, especially when we were in cold weather training. If we went out in that frigid, we, we were in, listen, I thought it was cold here. I was in the Sierra Nevadas uh, uh, where it is about three and a half to four miles above sea level. And it would get down so cold that you could take your socks, which were sweaty, hang them over a tree, and in the morning they'd be hard as a rock, frozen solid. You'd beat them off, put them back on. That's how we did it. It was so cold that your spit would almost freeze before it hit the ground. 22, 23 below zero with a wind chill factor of about 40 below. And do you know what? You don't go out to relieve yourself by yourself because if you get lost, you will die. And let me tell you something, young person. It'd be, it would do you well to find somebody you could talk to, you, them, and God, and you get along with them and y'all pray about the situation. That'd do you get real good. You've got to have a partner. You know, you, might, have a, you not, might not have a partner here on earth, but thank God we've got a partner in heaven. I want you to turn to Psalm 33 very quickly and I'm done. Psalm 33, very quickly, look at it. Psalm chapter 33, you've got a partner in heaven. When you think that everything's going topsy-turvy and you can't get help, I'm here to tell you there's one that can help you. Look at Psalm chapter 33 and verse number 6. It says by the... Are y'all there yet? Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and verse number 6. It says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. Do you know that that's what God did? All the heavens were made by the breath of his lips. God spoke light into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. Look what else. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Now, I want you to look at me. You've got one in heaven that wants to help you. Do you realize that he spoke everything that you see into existence? Let me give you just a little science class. Do you realize that the sun, which is the, one of the biggest stars that we know of in our, just our solar system, by the way, our, listen, our galaxy has hundreds of thousands of stars twice to four times to eight times to a hundred times bigger than the sun. The sun 
is 93 million miles away from us. It takes light eight minutes for that sun to get to us at 186,000 miles per second. You say, preacher, I don't understand that. 186,000 miles per second. Do you know what? That's the speed of light. One light year means that light would have to travel at that speed 5.88 trillion miles to go one to, in one year. Maybe that don't mean nothing to you. Let me go a little deeper. That sun, listen, that sun is just one little star. It would take, listen, 966,000 Earths if the Earth were the size of a golf ball to fit inside the sun if that was the size of the Earth. 966,000 Earths in the side of the sun if it were the size of a golf ball. That's enough to fill up a school bus full of golf balls. Do you know that the next biggest star that we kind of search out that's past our galaxy is a star called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse? <laughs> All right? I like the term Betelgeuse. I just like that. But this star, get this now, that star is 427 light years away from us. That means, George, at 427 years, you'd have to go at the speed of light and go 5.88 trillion miles every, every year. Now, you get your little computer out, your little calculator, and watch it come up E-R-R-O-R. -R -R. It can't do it. That's how far Betelgeuse is away from us. Let me tell you how big it is. Betelgeuse is so big that it's twice the size, you think I'm going to say of the sun, don't you? It's twice the size, the orbit of the earth around the sun. That don't mean nothing to you? If the earth were about the size of the end of that bottle, okay, the earth were the size of the end of that bottle. Now pick out where you at on that, because if that's the size of earth, you're on there somewhere. Okay? You're on there somewhere. And if that's the size of the earth, you know how many would go inside of Betelgeuse, the star? There would be enough earth, 266 trillion earths inside of the star Betelgeuse if that were the size of the earth. You say, I don't mean nothing to me. Y'all know where the NEC is? The big auditorium? It would take enough golf balls to fill that up 3,000 times. Would go in that star, the earth, if it were the size of that bottle. That bottle top. Yeah, it blows my mind. Don't it yours? Does that blow your mind? And it says right here that the God of heaven spoke it and it, it was done. He commanded it and it stood fast. Let me talk to you about one more. It's called Canis Majoris. That's a pretty cool name for a star, ain't it? Canis Majoris. I don't know who comes up with these names. I like it. Canis Majoris. This star is, listen to this. This star is almost seven quadrillion light years away. Now, I'm going to ask y'all something. Do you know what a quadrillion is? I can get my hands around a million. What's a trillion? It's a thousand millions, right? You know what a billion, I mean a billion is a thousand millions. A trillion is a thousand billions. Do you know what a quadrillion is? It's a thousand trillions. You say, preacher, that don't mean nothing to me. Well, let's, let's, let's put it in our uh, modern day vernacular. Twelve, a million seconds. Does anybody know how many a million, how many days a million seconds makes? Twelve days. A million seconds. A billion seconds. Anybody know how many days that would be? You'd say it'd be about 20. No, no, it'd be more than that. 
Let's go back May 1975. Okay, put your hands around this. A trillion seconds. 29,700 B.C. A quadrillion seconds. A quadrillion seconds would be 30,800,000 years B.C. And it says that that star is so big it would take, it would take seven quadrillion Earths to go in size of Canis Majestic. Um, Canis Majoris. If the earth, let me do it again, if the earth were the size of this bottle, this bottle top, that means that that star, if it were standing on its, on its end and going that way, here's the earth, that star would be the height of Mount Everest. And you could put seven quadrillion earths inside of that star. Now you say, what, why are you telling us all that? Because young people, I want you to look at me. The same God that breathed out light and it was in existence numbered every hair on your head. That doesn't mean that He can count every hair on your head. No, we could do that. Now you might could do mine real quick, but I, it'd take a little bit more time for some of you. Let me tell you what it means when it says God numbered every hair on your head. That means when you take a shower tonight, well, you ain't going to take one here because there ain't but one. Some of you won't get one. But when you take a shower Monday, and let's say a hair falls out of your head and goes down the drain, you know what God knows? That that's number maybe number 472. I mean, that's how in-depth He knows you. That same God that breathed those stars into existence is the same one that numbered every hair on your head. The same one that made you fearfully and wonderfully. And young people, I'm telling you this. I don't know what your problem is tonight. I don't know if you've even got one. If you don't, this is preventative maintenance. But maybe you're in this room tonight and you do have a stronghold. Maybe you've got a stronghold of bitterness. Maybe you've got a stronghold of what you look with your eyes. Maybe you've got a stronghold of impatience like I had. Maybe you've got a stronghold of uh, just denying that God can take care of you. Whatever it is, I promise you, if you'll admit it, if you'll analyze it, and you'll arm yourself against it, He'll give you victory. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of His love in the book He has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Tonight I want to ask you a question, young people. As Miss Shelley moves to the piano... You may be in this room tonight. You know what? You've been struggling. You and God know that. There may be nobody else in this room knows anything about your struggle. But do you know what? God does. God knows about it. And I want to ask you tonight, Judgment Day on you say, Preacher, I know I'm saved by the grace of God. There's not a shadow of it out in my mind. If I were to take my last breath tonight, I know I'd be in heaven. I can raise my hand right now that I'm saved on my way to heaven. Not a shadow of a doubt in my mind. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Are you in this room and your problem isn't strongholds? Your problem is you need to be saved.
Have you ever really turned to Jesus Christ and fully gave Him everything and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent of my sins and turn to you? Have you done that? If you haven't, would you let me pray for you? I wonder if you'd say, preacher, with an upraised hand, I want you to pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven, but I want to go. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Just put it up and then put it back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Hey, if you're in here and you know what? You're struggling with a stronghold in your life. You've got a storm of a stronghold. We've talked about how it's developed, how it's detected. But you know what? You can destroy that thing if you'll turn it over to Jesus. And you'll, you'll admit it. You'll analyze it. And you'll arm yourself against it with the Word, with prayer, and with partnership. I'm not going to even ask for a raise of hands. But you know what? God knows about it. The only reason I want you to pray is because He already does. I want you to pray that God would give you boldness to give it to Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You so much for Your goodness tonight. I pray, Lord, that You would help the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart be acceptable in our sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer, in Your sight. Lord, I pray that tonight that You would help us to have victory. Lord, for those that raise their hand, they're not sure. God, help them to come to us and talk and let us take a Bible and show them how they can know that they can have eternal life. Lord, for those ones that are struggling with strongholds, I pray that you'd give victory and we'll love you and praise you for what you do because we ask it in Jesus' name. 